America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another day, another week in this greatest nation on God's green earth. To say it's a great day would be simply wrong. It's not true. When the day begins with yet another school shooting, this one most unusual, both because of the Target School, which was a Christian school, the Covenant School, a Presbyterian elementary school for students in preschool through sixth grade. Three of those students shot dead. Uh, three adults, presumably members of the school staff, shot dead. The shooter who is a 28-year-old woman, fatally shot, uh, and uh, we have not learned her name as yet, though reports are in the media that she apparently at one point, she's 28 now, was a student at this elementary school. Uh, she was armed. Ready? She was armed with two assault-style rifles, semi-automatic rifles, and a pistol. And uh, she was taken down by police officers some 14 minutes after receiving the first call. Uh, the uh, police arrived when they arrived. They heard shooting on the second floor of the school. Some of the students on their own had run out of the school into a nearby woods uh, for their own protection. When I think about what it means to be an elementary school student, and I remember, uh, I remember both my own children, our own children, and it's uh, high school is is horrible enough. I mean, horrible enough, and the the numbers here are just are just almost beyond belief. Uh, by the way, they've combined or tried to calculate the number of these horrible, horrible, nightmarish crimes, which almost always lead to the death of the perpetrator. Uh, they're really a form of suicide, a particularly brutal, horrible, hideous form of suicide. Suicide always hideous and, and bleak. But uh, of all of these school shootings, and there have been 376, let that number sink in for a moment, since 1999, when they had the Columbine shooting, which seemed to inspire uh, many imitations. But of those 376 school shootings, uh, the shooter has been a female seven times. This is almost entirely uh, a male crime. Uh, uh, by the way, when you look at what the police accomplished here... Uh, this is one of the very few positives about uh, a terrible story. But the police were there 14 minutes after receiving the first call, and they clearly, for someone who was so well-armed, who had two different rifles, semi-automatic rifles, assault-style rifles, and a handgun, and clearly was intent upon as much killing as she could possibly do. But... Uh, Anybody in favor of uh, defunding the police right now? You think that when the police came in and actually they shot the suspect 
14 minutes after receiving the first call. And uh, yes, they they killed the suspect in that process, but they also saved other lives. Imagine if they had had that kind of successful police operation in, say, the new town. That's one of the other very rare cases where it was an elementary school rather than a high school or a middle school, but an elementary school. And uh, Newtown, however, was a public school. This was not even a public school. It was a church school in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, President Biden already has commented on uh, this this horrible crime. And uh, the president, uh, less than an hour ago, said uh, said this. Listen. It's sick. You know, we're still gathering the facts of what happened and why. And we do know that as of now, there are a number of people who are not going to, did not make it, including children. It's heartbreaking, uh, a family's worst nightmare. And I want to commend the police who responded incredibly swiftly, within minutes, and the danger. We're monitoring the situation, monitoring this really closely, Ben, as you know. And uh, we have to do more to stop gun violence. It's ripping our communities apart, ripping the soul of this nation, ripping at the very soul of the nation. And we, we have to do more to protect our schools so they aren't turned into prisons. You know, uh, the shooter in this situation reportedly had two assault weapons and a pistol. So I call on Congress again to pass my assault weapons ban. It's about time that we begin to make some more progress, but there's more to learn. But I just wanted to send my... Uh, Concern and hearts out to so many parents out there. I've been to so many of these sites, as Ben knows, by virtually every one. And uh, one of the things you folks should, I know you do know, but you should focus on. You know, just like when in the military, when my son was in Iraq for a year, other places, you, there's so many members of the military coming back with post-traumatic stress after witnessing the violence and participating in it. Well, these children, these teachers, you should be, should be focusing on their mental health as well. And so I'm grateful anyway. Sorry to start off that way, but I couldn't begin without acknowledging what happened. That's, um, uh, again, goes to another statistic that was compiled by the Washington Post. Uh, since... 1999, since Columbine in Colorado, there have been 376 school shootings. The total number of students who have been at school when a shooting, a deadly shooting occurred, total number of students is 348,000. Uh, think of what that means to, to the lives of the survivors. Uh, the the in, the entire issue is extraordinary, and the fact that with so much debate and so much resolution, uh, we have been unable to do something about it. Uh, moments ago, uh, there was a uh, this comment by law enforcement official on the scene in Nashville. Listen. 
10:13 today, uh, our officers responded to a shots fired call uh, to Covenant School. It's a church school. Uh, officers immediately uh, responded. Uh, team of five immediately went in the school, uh, went to where uh, gunshots were being heard, and engaged uh, the suspect. We have identified the suspect right now, uh, tendency a 28-year-old female white. Uh, we know the address of that person as well, and so we have some ongoing investigations um, as to that. We have three adult victims, and we have three children who have been identified and their families have been contacted. Uh, right now, I will refrain from saying uh, the ages, other than to say uh, I was literally moved to tears to see this and the kids as they were being ushered out of the building. The one thing you can say is God bless the police and think about the contrast to what happened in Uvalde. Uh, we'll get to more. There will be breaking news about possible motivations. Sometimes you never know for this kind of mad act or other details about the shooter as that becomes known. There's also a resolution of that crisis that was threatening civil war literally in Israel, at least according to reports. Uh, we will get to that. There was Trump's big rally over the weekend and more all coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. Something like that, and uh, actually probably another 20 to go, uh, talking about potential presidential candidates for the Republican Party. The, uh, the one who is uh, down as of today is the governor of Georgia, the very successful, very popular governor who was triumphantly reelected in uh, November. Brian Kemp uh, said he would not run for president in 2024. He praised several of the other potential contenders, presidential contenders, particularly Ron DeSantis, his fellow governor, who he's gotten to know very well as the governor of the neighboring state, because Georgia's right on the northern border of Florida. But uh, he pro praised eight or nine uh, and mostly former governors uh, and people, present governors, like people like Glenn Youngkin, he praised as outstanding candidates. He did leave out one, one name, which is uh, uh, President Trump, who, of course, has been extremely negative on uh, Governor Kemp. In fact, uh, he was fairly negative on a great number of people, particularly Alvin Bragg. Imagine that. By the way, the grand jury is supposed to be meeting this week. Don't hold your breath. Uh, I, if anyone is still holding breath about a potential indictment for President Trump, we will bring you up to date when that becomes known. Uh, there is a viral video that started circulating 
uh, just a few days ago. And again, what it indicates is a different approach to our schools and safety in our schools. And uh, it's a story out of Tampa. Headline, Bouncer Takes Down Devil-Masked Gunman at Strip Club. Now, I don't want to compare a Christian elementary school, uh, a church school that is associated with a local Presbyterian church. I don't want to associate that with a strip club. There's a certain difference in clientele and a difference in purpose, but uh, the story's worth considering. A bouncer standing guard outside a well-known Tampa strip club stopped an arm-to-the-teeth gunman in a devil mask from barging inside, quite possibly preventing a massacre, police said. Manny Resto, a former mixed martial arts fighter and professional wrestler, uh, told reporters that at first he wasn't sure what to make of the... On the other hand, I saw him pointed toward the door and I decided... He was not going to enter the club and hurt anybody. Arresto, who used to perform under the nickname Puerto Rican Punisher, said at a press conference, well, he administered some of that Puerto Rican punishment uh, without shooting him, apparently, to the uh, would-be gunman who was apprehended. There's a a picture of him. He looks, uh, how, how do you put it? He looks like he wouldn't need a devil mask uh, to be scary, but maybe the devil mask helped tip off the Puerto Rican Punisher to take him down. Now, what does this have to do with this horrible school shooting today? Uh, Not much, except that there is this question of uh, guards and police presence at at schools uh because uh, again is it possible that a, a a guard who is prepared could take down a 28 year old woman who is approaching with two different assault style rifles and a, and a handgun for the purpose of murdering children apparently uh who knows but uh, it is it is one of it is one of those incidents that I think for many many people uh, and and look I know the Second Amendment is a sacred and integral part of our Constitution I think the people who say well we ought to repeal the Second Amendment so that we can have unrestricted removal of guns from private homes and private hands. All of that is foolish. It, it is impossible. It is inappropriate. It is destructive. It's destructive to even talk that way, frankly. However, however, the, the question of assault-style weapons, and we, we did... Here's the, here's the, it seems to me, the important reason that people are so torn on this. We had for 10 years a fairly sweeping ban on assault weapons nationwide, but it was passed with a sunset clause, which meant that uh, unless Congress revoted it, it, it would go away, and it went away. And the, the argument is that 
uh, during a time when generally crime was going down and shootings were going down, uh, during that period of time, shootings also went down a little bit in, in terms of shootings with assault weapons. And yes, it's true that this gets so much attention, but less than 2% of all shootings, and uh, if you go up to fatal shootings, I, th I believe it's even higher, even lower. Uh, uh, less than 2% of those shootings are performed with the semi-automatic, uh, so-called assault-style, AR-15-style rifles. It's not a common weapon for criminals. However, the question becomes, with a shooter like this, did her ability to get a couple of assault rifles, which she brought two of them, not one, does the ability to secure that kind of weapon make it more likely that someone is going to attempt something like this? Because the, the illusion or the image that you create of absolute power uh, becomes so intoxicating to some of these folks, and the result is, since 1999, 376 school shootings. Uh, Jean-Pierre, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House Secretary, weighed in on the school shooting in Nashville this morning. This is clip one. In his State of the Union, the President called on Congress to do something to stop the epidemic of gun violence tearing families apart, tearing communities apart. How many more children have, have to be murdered before Republicans in Congress will step up and act to pass the assault weapons ban? Okay, that kind of simplicity is uh, inappropriate. It's also inappropriate to apply that kind of simplicity to the fentanyl crisis. Uh, coming up, uh, a, a truly distinguished reporter uh, has a piece that says there is only one thing that will actually solve the fentanyl crisis and reduce the more than 100,000 people who die every year from drug overdoses, the great majority of which involve fentanyl. We'll be speaking to Sam Quinones coming up on The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved show, obviously, when you have three children, uh, elementary school children, we don't yet know what exactly the ages are, but elementary school means below the age of 13. And when that happens, of, of course, it's heartbreaking, it's appalling, but there's a far more common cause of death that afflicts not so much children as a lot of young people, a lot of teenagers, uh, a lot of Americans in general, there are over 100,000 Americans who die of drug overdoses in a year, and about two-thirds of those cases involve the drug fentanyl. Uh, Sam Canones has written a, a uh, column that you really have to read. I mean, it's really, really important. It's posted up our website. The headline at the Washington Post 
for Sam's column is only one thing will solve the fentanyl crisis. Uh, Sam is the author of four books, two of them about Mexico and two about the American drug addiction epidemic, including The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. Uh, Sam, congratulations on a very constructive column. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Very nice of you. Oh, well, when you say there's one thing that can solve the crisis, it's one thing that isn't so easy to accomplish, obviously, but it's it's one thing that all people of goodwill should say, yes, we've got to move in that direction. What is that one thing? Well, let me first say that the headline, <laughs> let me say this, the headline is written by the Washington Post. I'm not sure I would actually say there's one thing, but a certainly extraordinarily important thing is a collaboration between the United States and Mexico of the kind that, that so far we've never really been able to achieve, even though we share a 2,000-mile border, a free trade agreement, numerous problems and challenges and opportunities uh, in common. And yet we don't ever seem to, as two countries, seem to be able to put our heads together and work in a sustained way towards the control of, of drugs, and in this case nowadays, because it's synthetic drugs we're talking about, meaning only chemicals, towards the, the regulation and control of ingredient chemicals coming in to Mexico that might be used to make the synthetic, the primary synthetic drugs, which are fentanyl, of course, as you mentioned, and methamphetamine. Okay, okay. one of the things that people say is they uh, they blame Mexico for taking advantage of us with trade deals. Well, now the Mexicans have cooperated with renegotiating NAFTA. Uh, is is it is it true that there is one side more than the other that is responsible for the lack of cooperation on this problem that that really afflicts both countries? Yes, you know, I think the problem is we look at this as a, a union national, if that's even a word, uh, problem, meaning the other guys to blame. And certainly, I would say I haven't lived in Mexico for 10 years. As you said, I wrote two books about the country, and I do not view Mexico with any kind of rose-colored glasses. And there are severe problems, particularly with the, the corruption in the criminal justice system down there that, that hamper uh, even even. Uh, serve to enhance the drug problem and the drug trafficking and drug smuggling uh, out of Mexico. And I could go on quite a long time about that. On the other hand, um, you know, we have here um, a, an approach to our uh, a gun purchases, particularly with assault weapons, that I think we've never been really uh, 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 been able to address in any kind of coherent way. And though many of those weapons, it's very important for people to understand, many of those weapons are purchased so easily here, are smuggled down to Mexico, and it's those weapons that ensure the impunity, or help ensure, certainly, the impunity with which traffickers in Mexico produce fentanyl and methamphetamine in, in just scandalous, catastrophic quantities. And so this is a binational problem that each country has so far felt justified in saying it's the other guy's uh, fault, and no progress comes unless there's a change there. And each side says, okay, we both got a, got some issues, and let's put our heads together and see what we can do together. And um, when I was up in Mexico, I really thought that there was a potential for that, and that when that would happen, that that would be a, a, a substantial change, that we, because we've simply 
never done it. No president, no government in my lifetime on either side has really achieved that. And I think it's fentanyl is now showing that it's absolutely essential for that to happen. Well, are you saying that it is with all of the lawlessness we associate with Mexico and the penetration by the drug cartels, are you saying it's easier to get uh, semi-automatic weapons in America than it is in Mexico? Easier? Um, I guess, I, uh, you know, it depends on who you are. I suspect it's pretty dang easy for um, traffickers in Mexico to come by them. And, um, and, and most of the time they're smuggled from the United States south. And not in huge amounts. This is a kind of, a, as they call it in Spanish, a la hormiga, kind of ant-like, uh, where daily you see little dribs and drabs of weapons uh, going south. Uh, you could check out the Instagram, I'm, I'm sorry, the Twitter account of Michael Humphreys, who, who is the chief of the border, uh, Customs and Border Patrol crossing at, uh, in Nogales, and, and just see the amounts of drugs coming across that he, he reports that he sees just staggering. But he also reports on the guns going, going south, which they occasionally uh, take down. And it's just remarkable, the amounts of guns, the amounts of drugs. But it's two sides of the same problem. We've got to get away from the idea that somehow these are separate. They are absolutely connected and, and integrally so. And we need to understand that that's, that's the essence of the, of the problem, not that one side is to blame or more to blame. It's, it's simply that both sides need to get their minds around the idea of what they, that they have a massive amount of work to do. What, what about the argument that people will bring up, which is that, look, there's an appetite for these drugs. Nobody forces you to use meth. No one forces you to use fentanyl. And that if you don't get uh, the fentanyl imported across the border from Mexico, it'll come in from somewhere else. Uh, no, could, no, Could no, be Canada. No. Why nobody, is, what's wrong with that argument? Yeah, no, nobody, no heroin addict, nobody demands fentanyl. It is, it is a, a classic case of supply, drive demand. Supply is so massive. There, is, there are very few people, heroin addicts, who, who would demand something. There's nobody who is addicted to, once addicted to heroin that would ever demand to use fentanyl. Majority of the demand is created because the supply is so vast. It's put into other drugs. It's put into tens of millions of counterfeit lookalike pills that look like a Percocet, that look like a Xanax, look like an Adderall, look like a whatever. And, and no, I, I'm sorry. I just think that the, my reporting on this, I used to believe that. I used to believe those kinds of things. And there may have been a time in our drug story when that was true, that demand drove, drove supply. My feeling is very strongly now that, that, that it is a, a case of, of massive amounts of, of drugs creating the demand. And then the demand has its own story. And, and, and then it continues. And then, then it's, but, and, and then it demands its own supply. But the truth is, there are very few people in this country ever wanted to be addicted to, to fentanyl. Every heroin addict knows that fentanyl is, first of all, life-threatening. It is absolutely um, a, a torment because you need to use fentanyl five, six, seven times a day to keep the withdrawals at bay. Whereas in, with heroin, it's twice or three times. But when you have such supply coming across, it's, it's put into other things. The fentanyl is put into other things. And very quickly, people who use those drugs become 
Sentinel addicts demanding Sentinel, but that did not exist. Sam, before Sam, can you hang? Can you hang on for a few minutes? Sure. Terrific. I I want to ask about do those fentanyl supplies that are so deadly here in America do they actually originate in China or just pass through Mexico or do they originate there we'll get to that and more coming up with Sam Canones The Michael Medved Show 1-800-955-1776 The Michael Medved Show with uh, Sam Canones, who's written a very provocative and important column uh, that I hope everyone will take a look at. It's posted at michaelmedved.com. It's a column that appeared uh, under the headline, Only One Thing Will Solve the Fentanyl Crisis. And it's actually one thing that involves a lot of steps and a lot of moving parts, which has to do with cooperation between the United States and Mexico. If the two nations are at cross purposes and trying to undermine each other somehow, uh, then obviously there is not going to be progress on some of the fentanyl in particular that is flowing across the border. Uh, Sam, one of the things that people have pointed out recently is that there is uh, increasing fear in the United States of attempts by the Chinese Communist Party, which is basically the nation of China today, to undermine the well-being and uh, success and prosperity of the United States. And a lot of people have pointed to the, uh, the drug crisis as an indication of that. Uh, this um, the fentanyl that is coming across the border from Mexico, does that trade, does that substance actually originate in many cases from China? Well, it used to. Uh, in the early days of fentanyl, which is, doesn't go back that far, and say 2013, 14, 15, right in there, and you began to see, particularly in the states where, fent where the opioid epidemic had taken root first and hit worse, like Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, places like that, you began to see fentanyl uh, arrive, and it was poorly mixed, so poorly mixed by street dealers that it began to create enormous numbers of clusters of overdoses, uh, many of whom died. A lot of people were saved, too. But in Cincinnati, Huntington, West Virginia, et cetera. Um, as time went on, though, I think the Mexicans began to master the ability to make it. They also have control, the trafficking world, have significant uh, control of the ports because now with synthetic drugs land doesn't matter anymore what you really need more than anything uh, if these are drugs made only with chemicals you need access to to, to world chemical markets and so uh they control the, the ports on the western side of mexico the airport of mexico city is an important source of all this as 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 well and they've certainly learned how how to make make the stuff and so i think that shift has happened so the ingredients essential ingredients uh, very well still being made in, in, in China, although, of course, you can make them like pretty much anywhere. Uh, India may be another source now. Um, but um, I think the, the ability to make it and, and the, uh, the widespread nature of production, because it's not that hard 
to make. You make it in your backyard, and there are videos of, uh, on YouTube of this taking place and, and busts that they've taken down uh, of people kind of doing this. Um, those, those, that's in Mexico now. And so the, 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 and that is why I believe we've been able to, they've been able to cover the country with fentanyl and methamphetamine for that matter as well. They're just so much ingredient, so many ingredients are available now that they can make this all year round. There are no seasons with synthetic drugs, right? And you're hidden in a, in some kind of rustic or maybe even more um, sophisticated lab away from the prying eyes of helicopters. So it's difficult to find. And, and all of this huge rush of people into making this stuff, in particular in the western side of Mexico, and you see that the supplies of the stuff just hit catastrophic uh, levels. And that is why we now have fentanyl and meth in New England and in L.A. and in Vegas and in Oklahoma and, and you know, all across, essentially all across uh, the country, an unprecedented event that we have, that one source has covered the country in not one drug, but two, and that is, that source is the Mexican trafficking world. Now, you've, you've lived in Mexico for a, a good period of time, and one of the things that I found yes. fascinating in your column is uh, that you met uh, Senator Joe Biden before he became president, and you were impressed by how much he respected Mexico, how much he knew about it. He seemed to care about the relationship. And then you also had some contact with um, uh, Manuel uh, um, AMLO, the uh, uh, Obrador, the now president of Mexico, who was the mayor of Mexico City before, and that he also struck you as someone who understood the importance of doing business with the United States. With these two people in power right now, at least for the time being, uh, are you a little bit surprised that they haven't been able to cooperate more effectively on dealing with this fentanyl crisis? I, I, I am. I am. I think, frankly, the Biden administration, from my understanding, has done a lot more to promote the collaboration. I know there's, there's groups of congressmen. Uh, frequently being brought down by the ambassador down there to, to meet with uh, Mexican officials. Um, I would say that um, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, the current president, who was at the time when I was in Mexico, he was a senator and, and, and uh, um, mayor of Mexico City. Uh, yeah, he seemed very articulate. He seemed very coherent. Um, to me, he doesn't quite seem that way right now. He also um, seems to... Uh, you know, it, it, there's a there's a lot of rhetoric coming out of him that, that makes me makes me feel that that he's he he doesn't want this. On the other hand, he may be like jockeying for a better bargaining position. I don't pretend to know the interior of uh, of of the diplomacy that's going on between the two the two countries. What I do know is that uh, you know um, DEA has had a tough time working down there. Um, the the Marines were, had a base in Culiacan, Sinaloa, which was really like the center of the drug world in, in Mexico. That base was he moved out uh, back to Mexico City. You know, you got a lot of things going on that that make me feel like these guys just. I know there are other issues to be dealt with. There's the energy. There's immigration. There's a whole bunch of worldwide issues to deal with. But it just seems to me that the relationship between these two countries is among the most important relationships either of these countries has and it just not has not been uh developed the way it needs to in an earlier draft of the piece i said you know ask yourself how many 
congressman in the United States could answer the question, what are the six states, Mexican states, that border the United States? Ask yourself that. You would think that that we would that, that would be common knowledge. And instead, you know, because of long history, because of the lack of trust, because of the corruption and a variety of other things, there just has not would not been able to move forward on this. And I think fentanyl is so severe, so scary, such an emergency that I'm hoping Maybe I'm naive. I'm certainly prone to being naive from time to time, but I'm certainly hoping that it can it can create the 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 conditions for a new a new relationship between Mexico and the United States. Okay, what's in it for Mexico? In other words, would uh, would Mexico be asked to be giving up uh, uh, even to its illegal cartels uh, the flow of a very a profitable trade. What what would Mexico gain by helping the United States? Uh, it, would, it would it would gain presumably the end of the the corrosion and the murder of Mexican citizens, <laughs> corrosion of institutions, and the the murder, the wanton murder that's been going on for uh, what since two thousand five of of Mexican uh, citizens, and and the the destruction of, of economic opportunity and the 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 the, the, the reputation worldwide now of a semi-narco state in, in, in certainly in some parts of the country you know I mean I think that there's huge amounts of people of, of benefits uh, 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 to Mexico it, it needs to feel I think Mexicans by and large too are very interested in the United they, frequently there's very good feelings regarding the United the United States we need to make take advantage of that we need to be about respecting mexico treating mexico not as a little child as a little brother to be uh, abused but to, but as a as an as an equal but also as someone we can talk to and say look this is not okay we have to step up in our own ways particularly i believe with, with regard to weapons uh, that these guys use so wantonly and, and murderously down in town in mexico that's uh, sam canones his uh, new piece from the washington post is posted up at our website. It has to deal with the uh, fentanyl crisis, which is a crisis, as he makes very clear, for both countries and that uh, deserves immediate attention. Coming up, uh, he's also the author of the book, The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. Uh, coming up, uh, we'll talk about uh, another kind of addiction, an addiction to demagoguery in our politics, defined as politics that is based upon uh, anger and fear. Uh, is there too much of that? How do we deal with it? We'll be talking with Jim Garrity of National Review. We'll also talk about reports that uh, Joe Biden is losing patience with Kamala Harris. Then what? We'll get to it. Coming up in this greatest nation on God's green earth.